So the story so far, if you have missed a week or two, maybe, is Nehemiah and the whole of Jerusalem, they've been exiled into Babylon. Do you remember this? Yes. Feel free, feel free to speak back. I'm okay with that. So the city is destroyed, the church is closed, and Nehemiah, what did he do for four months? He fasted and prayed because he cared. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, so he's going in on any other day to the king's palace, but on this day, the king notices he was sad. His vulnerability led to an opportunity. He has the audacity and the courage to say to the king, can I have some time off and return to my home city of Jerusalem to rebuild the walls? And because the Bible says the hand of the Lord, the hand of God was upon Nehemiah, he granted him the request. He said, go back to Jerusalem and you, I will even pay for the rebuilding project out of my own personal forest. He goes to Jerusalem and we start to see the rebuilding project starts. And Andy spoke last week, it takes a team of people and we all have a part to play in the rebuilding of the kingdom But for Nehemiah, it was the walls of Jerusalem. So this is where we find ourselves. They're there, started rebuilding the walls. The Bible uses many different analogies and metaphors to describe the Christian faith and journey we're on. You've probably heard of some of these. Like a race, like a plant in the ground, shepherd and sheep. Jars of clay, vine and branches, salt of the earth. Have you heard of them? Yeah, these are all metaphors and analogies. All of these are to give us a greater understanding to the journey of a follower of Jesus and to deepen our spiritual life. And here in Nehemiah 4, we find the Christian faith is a fight. It is a fight. See, for most of us, we've never lived in a war zone. Maybe hands up. Who's lived in a war zone here in any time of their life? One person. Maybe there might be a few others. See, most of us have never lived in a war zone. We've never feared an attack from another nation. We live in comfortable Britain. We're one of the most advanced and fortunate people groups in the whole world at this time in history. We're secure. Our finances are, we might say they're not, but compared to other countries, they're fairly good. We don't have the day-to-day fear of an attack upon our nation or government. How many people woke up this morning, I wonder, and thought to themselves, are we going to be attacked today? Am I going to make it to church? Are my town going to be in ruins? I pretty much guarantee no one in this room thought that as they woke up this morning. This is not some paintball game with your friends. This is real. The closest we come to reality of an enemy attacking us is either watching BBC News 
or watching another series on uh, Netflix. This image is the image we get of a war zone of an enemy attacking another nation. However, we know there's lots of countries and there's lots of Christians around the world. This is their reality. They do fear an attack of another enemy. But there is something deeper in this passage. See, on the surface level of this passage, this is an assault upon a city of the rebuilding of the walls. They're trying to attack the city and the rebuilding of the walls. But underneath the surface, this is an attack upon the work of God and therefore the people of God. And this is where it hits home for us. It was an attack upon the work of God and the people of God. Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the power of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul is saying we are not at fight against men and women. It's against spiritual darkness and evil. There's a, there is good and there is evil. There's a heavenly kingdom and there's a worldly kingdom. There's God's reign and there's Satan's attempt to reign. There's a massive difference there. I don't know what comes into your mind when you think of the devil or Satan or the enemy. These are all different terminologies you'll find in the church or in the Christian world. Is it like a red-faced person with horns holding a pitchfork? You know what do I mean? Is that your image of the devil? Or is Satan just a symbol for human evil? Biblically speaking, Satan is a divine being who rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden by tempting Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. Does he have a red face, fork and horns? I don't think so. I really don't think so. Satan can tempt, he can lie, he can accuse and he can provoke. But I want to make something clear to us all here right now. He is not the opposite of God. God is all-powerful, everywhere present and all-knowing. Satan is none of these. Satan does not have unlimited power. He cannot be everywhere at once. He does not know everything. He is a created, limited being. When Satan approaches God, God He did not come as an equal, but rather Satan comes as a subordinate. God has no equal. Maybe that's for some of us to hear today. God has no equal. And in this passage, we see the people of God and the work of God might be under attack, but God has no equal. And we see in this story how the enemy comes to attack the rebuilding project and to stop the work of God. And we see, it, I want to pick out three, reasons, three ways the enemy attacks the building project. Number one, in verse two, it reads, Sambalat was angry and greatly incensed. He was raging. This is the first release attack upon the walls. It says this, 
What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wars? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can you bring those stones back to life from the heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Do you see what he's doing, church? He's provoking them to give up. You can't do this. Who do you think you are that you can take those dead stones and rebuild the walls? This is not a rebuilding project. This is a demolition project. He wants them to give up. The enemies wanted them to give up on the rebuilding project. One of my favorite pastimes is watching house renovation programs. Anyone else here with me? Yeah, a few people. Fantastic. And one of my favorite ones is Grand Designs. Just dream if I could do that sometime in my lifetime. Maybe. But I love watching these programs. And always they have to tear some walls down, but usually they they literally get rid of the building, don't they, and start again. And if I look around this room, we all have a story of maybe Jesus rebuilding our walls in our lives. See, our God is in the restoration business. Nehemiah was tasked to restore the building walls, but God restores our lives. You might have never thought of your life as being restored by Jesus, but Jesus gives everyone the invitation. His words are, come and follow me. And as we do that, we go on a lifelong journey of transformation and restoration to become more like him, Jesus. But the enemy wants us to give up. They wanted Nehemiah to give up. And he primarily, I believe, does that in two ways. Number one, Satan will tempt you to give up on the community, which is the church. Do you really need to be part of the community, the church? That's your Sunday morning. That's your midweek evening. Do you really need to go to those people's house to have dinner and get to know people and maybe just keep it to the Sunday? And this is a trend we've actually seen post-COVID. There's lots of people post-COVID, they would claim to be followers of Jesus, but they actually live quite isolated from the community, the church. And this is what the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to isolate ourselves from the community. To answer the question, do we really need to be part of the community of church? Yes, we do. I need your encouragement. You need my encouragement. We need each other to build one another up, to walk with one another on this journey. The second way Satan will tempt you to give up is on your personal restoration journey. Sometimes we can have doubts. Sometimes we can be stuck in habitual sin or fear or trauma or things have happened on our lives and we can really feel, does God really restore lives? From my own personal journey, you know, God surfaced many personal fears and false assumptions that I retained for many years. And in my own experience, restoration takes longer than I hope. But it's a journey of restoration. 
And the enemy wants to make us to feel defeated, passive, self-focused, discouraged on the journey of restoration. But I want to remind you and encourage you, God does really restore lives. Sometimes he can do it in an instant. But my personal journey is that God does it over many days, months, and years. If we allow him to. And this is exactly what Nehemiah's enemy wanted to do. He wanted to attack the mind. Get them to give up right at the beginning of the building project. You can't do this. But God can do it through these people. See, when God calls us to restoration, or to love that person, or to serve on that ministry, or to be working in that workplace, you can do it. And we're going to see later at the end of this chapter or end of the passage, is that we can do it because God is on our side and he has no equal. I'm encouraged by the words of Paul in Philippians, where he says, I press on towards the goal. I'm encouraged by the words here in Nehemiah and this story, they pressed on. And sometimes we feel like giving up. Maybe that's not just sometimes, maybe that's many times. But I want to encourage you, as we carry on the work of God, and as the people of God, we press on. Number two, the first one, the enemy attacked um, to give up. Number two, it says in verse three, when they are building, even a fox climbing up on on it would break down the walls of the stones. They're saying the walls are so badly built that a small animal could walk on it and it will crumble. Your walls have no protection. They won't protect you. When's the last time you went down your street and you saw a fox or a cat or some sort of small animal on the wall and then it started to crumble and it fell to pieces? Has anyone ever seen this? Probably not. Because this is an outright fat lie. That's what it is. It was the enemy trying to stop the people of God and the work of God by putting lies in their mind. He's making up lies. You can't build those walls. A fox wouldn't even be able, uh, would go on it and it would crumble. It's a lie. They won't protect your family. This is very real to our lives. The enemy wants to sh- give us lies. Lies are distorting the truth. The Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. He puts lies in your mind. He wants to distort the truth to cause havoc to your identity and your purpose. Lies about who you are, about the situation, even about questions of who is God. And the encouragement is, Not to listen to the lies, but to speak truth. To become truth tellers. So you always hear the enemy before you see the enemy. Because he will start with your mind. Those walls will not hold anything. Yes, they will. They won't keep you safe in that city. Yes, they will. I wonder what lies Satan has told you in the past. Or even today, what lies is he telling you? So you can't stop the lies 
from Satan being thrown at you, but you can stop them festering like a virus in a body. Which starts off small, it grows until it affects the whole body, and the only antidote to the lies is the promises of God, which is found in the word of God, to be a truth teller. That's why it's so important to know the word of God. See, reading the menu when you go to a restaurant doesn't fill you up. Eating the food does. I'll leave that one hanging with you. Reading the menu doesn't fill you up, but eating the food does. The story goes on, verse 7. They heard they were still repairing and rebuilding the walls. The first two attacks haven't worked. They provoked them to give up. They've told them lies. It doesn't work. So they've plotted to, fight, to come together and fight against them. So what does Nehemiah do? He stations all his people around the different parts of the wall. And he says to them, some of you are going to work the wall. Others of you are going to carry spears and shields and bows and armor. And you're going to protect the rebuilding process. And if you need to carry materials... In one hand, carry the materials, and in the other hand, carry a sword. See, the Israelites, they knew that the building of the wars, in the building of the wars, there was a battle. They were in a fight at the same time. And the Christian journey is a fight. 2 Timothy 2, it says, share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul goes on later in 2 Timothy 4, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. So the story goes on and they're building and the physical attacks is coming in from different directions, the north, the south, the east, the west. And in verse 19, it says this, then I send the nobles and the officials and rest of the people. The work is extensive, spread out. We are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the trumpet sound, join us there. He's saying, when the attack comes, we need to be close together. We need to be united. If we're separated, we're disunited and we won't be strong enough. The enemy knows that if he can disunite us, we are weaker. And this is the reason Satan loves to cause disunity in marriages, families, friendships, and the church. He loves it. When you start to get frustrated, annoyed with your spouse or family member or someone in this church, they always do that. Noise me. Do they not see my feelings and what I've done? Have you been there? I have. But maybe, just maybe, maybe Satan is trying to cause disunity in marriages, families and friendships and churches. Because if we're separated, we are weaker. See, many of us have probably seen marriages and families and friendships break down because of disunity. And the knock-on effect of that, it is ugly and painful. We need to cultivate a spirit of unity. And sometimes we have to fight for unity. 
Maybe someone needs to hear this day. You have to fight for unity in your marriage and in your families and in your friendship groups and in this church because it's worth it. Why? Because all relationships are a testimony to God's goodness and grace and a blessing from God. And when God is at work, the enemy will attack you and your family and the church. And that is what was happening as they were building the walls. They were trying to get them when they were disunified. But Nehemiah was saying, no, no, when this happens, I'm going to blow the trumpet and you're going to come all together. We're going to be closer. Actually, we're going to be more united. Throughout the passages, uh, Nehemiah prays twice. And we see this as a mega theme throughout the whole book. We see the praying and the planning. And it's so important to the rebuilding of the walls. Uh, And sometimes our personal emotions and feelings is to attack back. Those who attack us, we'll attack them back. I'm going to stop them in their ways. I'm going to have the last word because I'm the better person. We might not do it, but we think it. It's justice. But Nehemiah didn't get moved in anger. He prayed to God. Nehemiah didn't get provoked because he knew it provoked God's anger. And when God's people are attacked, God takes it personally. Nehemiah, in verse 14, it says, Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your your homes. See, there is a real attack and assault upon the rebuilding project of the walls. And the the enemy was trying to times, give up, give up. I'm going to tell you lies. It's not going to work. I'm going to cause disunity amongst you. I'm going to attack you. And I think the enemy works similar in our lives as we do the work of God as the people of God. In verse 20, it says, I love this. Lastly, our God will fight for us. This is a real attack on the restoration of the city walls, but our God will fight for us. And in our lives, our God will fight for you. And you might feel that you are in a real fight right now. There's a tug of war in your heart, an inner conflict between pressing on and giving up, between the truth and the lies, between disunity and unity. And I want to say this is a space for God to encourage you today to press on, to be a truth teller and to fight for unity. In John 1.5 it says, light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The band are going to come back up as we're going to sing a song. I want to read you Psalm 27 verse 3 to 6. Psalm 27 verse 3 to 6. And it says this. 
Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rises against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifice of shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. God has no equal. He will fight for us. But the real thing is there is an enemy that wants you to give up, that will speak lies into your mind and will try and provoke disunity amongst us. I want to encourage you today that God would help you on that. Sometimes he goes before us. Sometimes he walks next to us. Sometimes he goes behind us and gives us a little push. But if you allow him in your life to help you, he will. You have no equal. And we're going to sing in a moment. And we're going to sing because now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifice with shouts of joy. And I will sing and make melody to the Lord.